Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to The Jar. We're so glad you chose to uh, hang out with us together today. We are in week two of our series called Puzzled, and today uh, what I want to talk about is kind of the, the second part of this whole puzzling process that there are some times where there are just things in life that just don't quite make sense. There are some things that happen in life that are just kind of puzzling. Uh, things aren't always what they seem. Um, for example, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took my wife or took my daughter uh, Jordan uh, to. Uh, actually, let me start that all over. My wife didn't go, and Jordan didn't go. Okay, um, I really do memorize these things, just to let you know. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, I took my youngest daughter, Shiloh, to Florida, and my wife, Jennifer, had to work all week, and then uh, my oldest daughter, Jordan, was at a, a band trip. And so the two of us uh, go, and we uh, hang out uh, together, and uh, one of the ways that she and I bond uh, is we will make these videos of 70s or 80s music and then we'll make one to send to my wife. And so we fly down to Florida, we get our rental car, we get in the car, we start driving around, and uh, she puts on the 80s music, and we start singing a song, and I want you to check this out. Get ready for that funky music, Jennifer! Play that funky music, my boy. Play that funky music, why? Play that funky music, why, boy? Play down the boogie and play that funky music till you die. Okay, so if any of you want my autograph later on, don't storm the stage, okay? Just, just don't do that. But one of the ways that we bond is we like to uh, play, make these videos and to do some funky music together. Well, while we were in Florida, one of the things she wanted to do was go to Universal Studios. So we decided that we would go, and uh, we actually met some friends of ours there as well. And they have a three-year-old daughter named Adelaide. And pretty much the entire day was around Adelaide. And at the end, I could tell that both of the parents really wanted to do an adult ride. And they have a coaster there called the, the Hawk Ride, uh, the Incredible Hawk Ride. And uh, I could tell they wanted to go. And I said, well, why don't you guys go? And, uh, you know, Shiloh could go with you guys too. And uh, I'll take the hard task of taking care of Adelaide because I'm more of a kiddie coaster person myself. And uh, so they said, yeah, that's fine. I said, well, give me your phones uh, because, you know, you don't want them to fall out. They're like, yeah, we don't want that to happen. And then I said, when you're done, just go ahead and get a hold of me. And so they went off to the Hawk ride, and then uh, Adelaide and I started investigating the park, and we found the cat in the hat section. And uh, I love Cat in the Hat. I love all the rides that were in Cat in the Hat. And so we started uh, going to the Cat in the Hat rides. And Adelaide and I, we just had a blast. We were doing all of these different rides together. And uh, we finally got on this one ride, and we're having so much fun. And my phone rings, and I look at it, and it is a 951 area code. And I'm thinking to myself, 
well, I don't know anyone in this area code. And I'm like, I'm on vacation. And so I just hit the silent button. Well, this person was really, really persistent. And they called three more times. And each time I was just like, silent, 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 ignore, ignore, ignore. I'm not going to do this. Like I'm on vacation. So Adelaide and I go on some other rides together and we're enjoying it. And then the goal of this person, they actually sent me a text and I'm thinking to myself, this is a stalker right now. And so, uh, I was against my better authority and my mindset, but I went ahead and I went ahead and looked at the text and this is what it said. Hey, Chris, it's Stephanie. You have our phones. We have been waiting by the Hawk roller coaster for 30 minutes. Please come find us. Folks, things aren't always what they seem. It wasn't a wrong number. They had found a total stranger because they were worried about their daughter being with this funky white boy. Things are not always what they seem. Now, to kind of illustrate this morning, I want us to look at our theme verse, which is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and this is what it says. Now, everybody say now. Now, Now, all of you on the stream, join along. It's more fun when you do it with us. So the first word is what? Now. Now, we see things imperfectly, Scripture says, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But what's the next word? Then. Yeah. Then we will see everything clearly. In this verse, there is some tension that is set up. There is this now, and it's very puzzling. It's not really what we understand. We don't see everything. We're in the now. We don't get it. Uh, last week, I talked about that, that puzzle piece. You're in the now. You, you just don't understand, but you're waiting for the then when everything will become clear and you'll be able to better fully focus on what's going on in your life. Now, to illustrate this this morning, what I want to do is look at one of the top 10 stories of the Bible. It's the story of Jesus actually walking on water. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22. And before I jump in, let me give you a little background about what has happened. Uh, What just took place before the story we're going to look at today is Jesus stood in front of 5,000 people and he took just a few fish and a couple loaves of bread And he fed all of them to where they even had leftovers that they could take with them. And then our story begins as it says, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. In other words, he had just fed 5,000 people, so he stays back to dismiss them. He went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already what? What's the next two words? Considerable what? A distance. A considerable distance from the land. Buffeted by the waves. In other words, these waves are just pounding and pounding and pounding against this boat because the wind was 
against it. Now, according to scholars, what this uh, concept of a considerable distance, when they look at all the context around it, what scholars say is it's about three to four miles off course. In other words, they're in the Sea of Galilee, but they're three or four miles away and the waves are pounding in on them. And when we look at the context of the scripture, we also find out that they've probably been in this storm for about nine hours. So imagine that you're in the middle of this sea by yourself. You're getting pounded by storms in the dark for over nine hours. And it just keeps pounding and pounding and pounding down on them. Folks, let me ask you this question, though. Who is the person that told the disciples to get into the boat and to go out into the sea? Who was it? Jesus. Like, he's the one that told them to do it to begin with. And where is he at now? Nowhere to be found. And I can imagine that the disciples are ticked off. And they're like, Jesus is the one that put us in this situation. We're in a storm because of him. We're in the now and we can't see the then. We're just in a storm. I mean, we're about to die here. Our lives are going to be taken away. And where is he? Have you ever felt that way before? That you knew exactly what God was calling you to do. You knew you needed to do something. But in the now, it wasn't quite working out. For example, maybe some of you felt called to be parents. But the reality is right now, you're going through a storm with one of your kids. And they're disrespectful and they're far from God. And you're wondering, is this thing ever going to work? Maybe for some of you, you just knew that God was telling you to buy this certain house or buy this certain car and you went ahead and you did that and then you lost your job and now you're in the midst of this storm. Or maybe for some of you, you thought you would always have great health, but now all of a sudden there's a health issue that's going on in your life. You weren't expecting it and you're in the midst of that storm. Or maybe, just maybe, you're trying to do your best to do what God tells you to do. And so you try to go and restore a relationship, maybe with a parent or a child or a friend or a coworker, And you put yourself out there. And when you tried to make it right, they spit venom towards you. And now you hurt worse than you did before you tried to restore the relationship. Now, the question that we have to come to in this story is, does Jesus abandon the disciples? They're on this boat in the middle of the sea, and the waves are pounding, and he's nowhere to be found. Does he abandon them? Well, let's read on in verse 25. It says this, shortly before dawn... And uh, as again, as scholars look at this, they say that it's probably somewhere between 3 and 6 in the morning. So 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Uh, is what they're dealing with. So it's still dark. The, the waves are pounding against them. They've been doing this for over nine hours. Shortly before dawn, 
Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. So here are the disciples and they're freaked out. And it's understandable that they would feel this way. They're seeing this ghost and the waves are pounding and they've been out there for nine hours and it's a difficult time. And all of a sudden the storm though goes from outside the boat to inside their soul. And they start having a storm within their soul and they start questioning and they start doubting and they start wondering, is Jesus really who he said he is? Is all of this happening for any particular reason? Are we just going to die? And then in a moment, with the storm going out, Jesus comes out and he actually calms the storm in their soul first. And he says to them, hey guys, fellas, just chill for a second. It's, it's me. It's me. You don't have to be afraid. And he tries his best to calm the storm in their soul first. The, the storm, the physical storm had not been calmed. He tries to reach out and calm the storm in their souls. You know, that's what happens to you and I many times. Some circumstances happening in our life that's overwhelming, and that doesn't go away, but God comes to us, and what he first wants to do is calm the storm in our soul. Because sometimes, folks, the storm in your soul is greater than the storm of the circumstances that you're actually dealing with, the storm outside of you. And this kind of leads us to our big idea this morning, and it's your first fill-in, and it's this. Sometimes God will choose to, choose to calm the storm in your soul before he calms the storm of your circumstance. Sometimes God will choose to calm the storm in your soul before he calms the storm of your circumstance. Folks, there is no storm too great for Jesus. There's no storm that's too great for him. He can calm any storm. Well, after Jesus kind of calms them down and says, hey, look, it's me, don't be afraid, then they finally recognize him. And then Peter, the guy who was called on by Jesus to start the, the church. So after Jesus ascends back to heaven, he says, hey, Peter, I want you to be the rock to start my church. In the midst of this whole storm situation, Peter says this. He says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, well, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. You see, what had happened was Peter had come to the end of his faith. And all of a sudden, he begins to sink in the water because he doesn't have faith and then he has nowhere else to go he has nothing else to do and he's in the water he's sinking and finally he cries out save me lord save me help me help me 
And Jesus, as we're going to see, he immediately reaches down and he pulls Peter up. Folks, God does the same to us, doesn't he? He allows us to go out as far as we need to in our faith. And when we get out there and we start teetering and we start sinking and we're not sure if we're going to make it, if we call out to him, if we call out to him, he comes right alongside us. He reaches down and he pulls us up and he allows our feet to wander further and for our faith to be made stronger because we're in the presence in that moment of our Savior. And this is what happened to Peter. Well, after Peter cries out, Lord, save me, Lord, save me, Scripture says this, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and he caught Peter and he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Now, the primary miracle here, obviously, is Jesus walking on water. But what I really want you to look at is this last sentence, because many times we just skim, skim right on over it. We just read over it. It says this, they climbed into the boat... In other words, they climb into the boat without Jesus speaking a word or doing anything. They climbed into the boat and all of a sudden, the wind just stopped. I mean, this storm had been pounding and pounding and pounding for over nine hours. Waves and wind everywhere. And then just like this, it passes. Folks, in our lives, many times what happens is once the storm has fulfilled its purpose, it actually just stops. Sometimes the storm goes on and on and on, but then once it's served its purpose and every storm we go through has a purpose, when it's done, it just stops. Now, the question that we have to ask in this story is, what is the purpose of the storm that the disciples go through? What is the purpose of the storm that the disciples go through? Well, verse 33 says this. Then those who were in the boat, again, who's in the boat? The disciples, the 12 of them. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Truly you are the Son of God. This is why this is so important. You need to realize this is the first time ever in Scripture that all 12 of them unequivocally proclaim Jesus is the Son of God. All of them together, not one or two here or one there, but all of them together in one voice says, this is the son of God. Now, they had seen many amazing things before, right? They had seen Jesus turn water into wine. They had seen Jesus heal people. They had seen Jesus resurrect people. They had seen him just feed 5,000 people with just a few 
fish and a few loaves of bread. But somehow, when they were in the midst of the storm, that's when their eyes were finally opened and they recognized he wasn't just a teacher. He was actually the son of God, the very flesh, the very being of God. And the question is, why? Why did it take that? Well, this is my thinking, because it was personal. You see, the other things... They had watched Jesus do, but this one they had actually experienced. They were in a storm. They were going through something. And then it was so personal that when they found themselves in the storm and they cried out to him, they recognized him for the very first time of who he said he was. And he reached down and he saved them. Folks, there's purpose in your storm. You're in the now right now. You can't see the then, but there is purpose in your storm. There's purpose in our questions. There's purpose in our doubts. There's purpose in our anxiety. There's purpose in our fears. And when we surrender to God, our storms then have an ability to have an eternal purpose for deepening and strengthening our faith to trust him more as truly the son of God who I desire to give all of my life to. So, what storm are you in right now? What is the storm that you're dealing with? Is it maybe with your marriage right now? And you're here at church or maybe your spouse isn't here, but you are and you're struggling with something and you're in that storm. Maybe for some of you, you're drowning in addiction right now. You're trying to hide it, but you can't hide it and you're dealing with it. Whether it's alcohol, drugs, porn, something else, you're dealing with it. Maybe others of you are in a financial storm. Maybe some of you are in a medical storm or a mental health storm right now where anxiety and depression are overcoming to you. And it feels as if you can't even hardly breathe. For me, one of the biggest storms I ever experienced in my life took place in 1998. Uh, I had been pastoring two small churches Uh, and they were country churches, and in five years, they doubled in size. And the vision that the people had is that they were going to sell both buildings, they were going to merge together and build one big church. And they wanted me to be the pastor, and I was so excited about this, and we were looking forward to it. And a year before uh, we were really getting ready to start the planning of this process, My wife Jennifer and I, as we were praying about it, felt like God was really calling us away from that situation and to move here to Muncie where she would work on her medical residency and I would go to seminary. Now, to be honest, I did not want to move. I knew what God wanted me to do, but I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to get in the boat. I wanted to stay on the shore with Jesus, just hang out with him. But no, the call was to go. And I obeyed him to go into a deeper kind of faith. Now, when I moved here to Muncie, folks, I knew no one. I knew absolutely no one. Jen had some relatives. And you know how the in-law relatives are sometimes. So I love them, 
But I didn't know them that well, and they actually are great people, but I didn't know them at all. And I would spend my entire time just kind of by myself mowing the yard. I had the nicest yard, by the way, in all of Robin Wood Estates, okay? But I didn't know anybody, and I felt totally isolated. And then I know they were trying to do this to encourage me, but the church would actually, that I pastored, would send me pictures of the land that they were going to be purchasing. And I just felt totally alone. And it was just the beginning of a storm of loneliness that I was going to experience. And I wanted to get out of Muncie, and I wanted to go back to the community where I knew everyone and not where I was at. Now, the good news is summer doesn't last forever. And so when fall came, uh, I started school and I was like, man, this is going to be great. Uh, These are all people being trained to be pastors. I'm going to get to know them. Everything's going to be awesome. I'm going to learn a lot of things. And that was not what happened at all. I felt like a stranger in a strange place. I didn't know anyone. I hadn't been in school for over five years. All the academic rigor was way more difficult than what I was able to even keep up with. And I just kept feeling more and more and more overwhelmed. And I had less and less community of people that were around me. In fact, what happened is that loneliness that just started to stir turned into discouragement, turned into depression, started turning into some panic attacks that I would experience. And the waves, they just kept crashing and crashing and crashing against the boat. And I remember during that time, I didn't sleep very much. And if I would get a a decent night of sleep, I'd wake up in the morning immediately with a panic attack. And I remember going to the toilet and I was dry heaving. I just wanted the anxiety. I wanted it all to go away. And I would just stay over that toilet thinking, God, please take this away. And the storm did not go away. And for 40 days, 40 days, every single day, depression, anxiety, dry heaves, loneliness, thinking that I was all by myself. And I remember crying out to God like, why, God, why would you do this? I don't understand this. Why can't I not just have a normal life? Why are you putting me through this storm? And in the midst of all of that, eventually my wife Jennifer said, Chris, you need to get some help. And so I started going to counseling twice a week. I got on some medication that tried to Help me in the midst of that as well. But the reality is, folks, the storm didn't stop. The panic attacks, the anxiety, the dry heaves, all of it kept crashing in, going again and again. And our marriage was very, very rocky. And I wanted to quit seminary. I wanted to quit being a pastor because the storm was too much. And then on day 41, and you know, the Bible talks about 40 as being a number. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days. I was in this wilderness, this storm for 40 days. And I'm telling you, you might think I'm crazy and that's okay. I don't care. But if I'm lying, I'm dying. On day 41, I was quietly 
asking God, please take this away when all of a sudden this is what I sense God saying. Chris, when you come to the end of your faith, that's where you'll find me. When you come to the end of yourself, that's where you'll find me. And you are trying to control everything in your life, Chris. And if you will simply surrender and say, I trust you, God. I trust you in the storm. I trust you. The circumstances aren't changing, but I'm trusting you. He started to calm the storm in my soul. And I was reminded of a scripture verse, the very first verse I ever memorized as a pastor. It's in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and it says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not upon your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You know, I'm just wondering today, what is the storm that you might be facing? What is the storm that you're dealing with? You know, on that 41st day, God calmed the storm in my soul, although the circumstances didn't change. I continued to struggle with anxiety. I continued to go to counseling. I continued to be on medication. But most of all, you know what I continued to do every day? I would get on my knees and I would say, God, I surrender this day to you. I can only do this day. And sometimes I could only do an hour. I would set my alarm clock on my, on my phone and I'd say, God, I, I can only do this next hour. Would you be with me? Help me through this storm. And God said, I can't stop all of the storm yet, but I'm going to stop the storm in your soul. And all of a sudden, as time went on and I went to the counseling, I did the medication, my life started to change. And most of all, that I surrendered to him. And after six months, all of a sudden, the outside storm stopped as well. And the doctors took me off the meds and I was able to live a life and I've never left the importance of the fact that God can stop the storm in your soul. And many times he does before the other changes. And it all begins when we surrender ultimately to him. You know, if you think about it, folks, the reason why you're sitting here today, the reason why those of you that are on the stream are watching this today is because God decided at a moment of my life to calm the storm in my soul. And as I was praying about this over the last couple of months, I was just wondering, maybe some of you are going through a storm right now. Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's with your medical health. Maybe for you, it's like it was for me. You're going through a mental health stuff right now. And you need a moment where you could surrender that to him and you could give that to him fully that I'm giving it all to you God and my prayer today is that he would begin to calm the storm in your soul and he would be able to allow your feet to wander 
further than you could ever imagine. And your faith could be made stronger as you sit in the presence of your Savior. I'm going to invite us to just turn the lights down and for you to have a moment as you sing these powerful words of God moving in your story.
some of you right now, you're going through some storms. Those of you in the balcony, maybe you got a storm that you're dealing with here on the main floor. Those of you on the stream right now. And this is what I need you to understand. That God is with you, God is for you, and God will never leave you. But right now, if you're in the midst of the storm and you need some strength, you need some increased faith, you're like, I'm calling out like Peter did, save me, Lord, save me. I'm gonna invite you in a moment of courage to actually just lift your hand and say, that's me, Chris. I need help in this storm I'm going through right now. And let me pray for you. God, right now, I pray for each person with a raised hand that as they go through their storm, that they would know that you are gonna give them strength and faith to be able to calm the storm in their soul first. Loving Father, I pray right now that they would be reminded that you are with them, you are for them, you will never ever leave them. I pray that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ right now, that they would experience your presence, God. Wherever they are, that they would feel your comfort and your love, and you would give them a strength and a faith in the midst of their storm. And I pray you would do this, Jesus, in your powerful name, so that your name would be made great. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Put your hand down. You know, some of you right now, you might be experiencing a spiritual storm. You've, your entire life maybe, you've just always thought, you know what, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. And you look back on something that you did in your past and you think because of that thing, there's no way that God would want anything to do with me. I remember in my own life, there was something that happened in college that I thought there was no way God could ever forgive me. Then one day I experienced a little word called grace. Grace says this, folks, there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you as is. And when I finally received that, I realized the reason he went to the cross, the reason why he rose from the grave, which we'll talk about next week, all of that was because of his existence. His amazing love for me. His immense love for me. And God loves you. He he loves you so much that if you were the only person on planet earth, when Good Friday came, he would have died just for you. And so if you're in this spiritual storm and you're like, I need a savior who's going to pull me up, who's not going to let me sink or drown then I'm going to invite you in a prayer right now. And it's not a prayer that you pray by yourself, but it's one we pray in community. But if today you're like, I need his love, I need his grace, I need his second chance, I need his new life in me, then I invite you to simply repeat this prayer after me if you feel comfortable. And again, you won't pray it alone. Let's all join together. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I give my life to you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again 
so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.